Hello and welcome to the TrueSight podcast by Oracle's Elixir, your source for in-depth analytical coverage of professional League of Legends and the rest of the esports world. I'm Tim Magic Sevenhusen. Today I'm joined by Gabriel Invert Zoltan Johan, the assistant coach with Dignitas. How are you doing so far this offseason, Gabe? I'm good, Tim. Actually, it's really funny as a staff member of a team to always hear the word offseason. Because you know it's a it is an off season. You know, uh, unfortunately, I'm not at Worlds, but uh, that doesn't mean that staff are not working, right? Like players, they can take the time off, they keep their form a bit. But you know, sometimes in some cases, this is the the some of the busier parts of the year for staff, where you constantly have to work on on what went right, what went wrong, what you want to do more of, less of, and you know get together uh, uh, a game plan that you think is winning so um not quite the off season uh but i'm enjoying it nonetheless i'm finding time to relax here and there before we dive into all the stuff that we'd love to talk about you know with the world championships you know obviously being the the big topic right now starting in a couple days and that's really exciting uh you know what's it this stage of the off season for you for a team that didn't make it to worlds and isn't competing right now you know, how much are you just doing kind of, like you were saying, kind of philosophical planning for how you want to approach things? How soon do you turn towards looking at who's going to be a free agent from our team, from other teams, and what do we do there? Like, what's kind of the, the cadence of, of those stages of an offseason for a team in your position? That's a great question. Uh, I think for the most part, people jump into that stuff immediately, uh, at least have a foundation of a plan to know, like... Uh, okay, I'm going like for in my role, uh, I'm I'm going to talk to every single player, talk to every other coach and all of our analysts, and get a sense of you know who was good to work with, what you liked about particular ways we did things, what did you want to see that maybe we didn't get to do this this split. So for example, um, you know the advent of coronavirus on the United States uh, makes planning social activities for a team, for example, a lot more difficult than it otherwise would be if it wasn't if there wasn't a global pandemic, right? So, how can we tackle that solution creatively that involves our players in a way that makes them excited to do these things, excited to build up camaraderie with one another? Um, just things like that you want to approach immediately because you have so much time to approach it and then refine it uh, across the rest of 2020. And then for the free agency question, um, you know, I think you start immediately as well. And then you're, you're looking at worlds and you're looking at the competitions that are still happening. And, you know, EU Masters is another example of that, that kind of augment your ideas and, and maybe alter them a bit. For yourself personally, how much do you enjoy kind of this, this off season phase of work compared to the, the kind of the in season, uh, you know, actual prep for actual matches and, and working directly with the players and scrimming and all of that, which, which part, you know, I would assume as a coach, you lean more towards enjoying the actual process of competing, but how much do you kind of lean towards that kind of the more management side of it and, and enjoy that? Yeah. Well, I'd rather be at worlds for sure. <laughs> well, <there's laughs> you know, competing, competing, uh, you know, for as long as possible. Uh, you know, not a lot of people fully know my background, but I was at the University of Toronto as a head coach. When I was there, we 
you know, we were winners, right? We competed at the highest level. We went to the college form of worlds. We did an event at the University Olympics in Taipei, and we won that. Um, so, you know, pseudo gold medalist over here. You know, I crave competition. It's something I, I crave winning. It's something I'm I'm almost accustomed to the, uh, from the earlier parts of my career, such that um, it's really important to me. And not only is that important to me, the development of, of players and the growth of players, both as a player and as a person, uh, is also something that uh, I'm really passionate about and something that I think is uh, a very fun part of the process so yeah definitely competing it's kind of in my spirit and my blood uh the passion that i have uh but that's not to say that the off season can't be uh exciting either but but definitely a preference towards competition so if we were going to kind of simplify that down and say in the process between selecting the players to be on your team versus working with the players who are already on your team you'd, you'd lean towards more towards actually working with the players Yes, I would. Cool. Well, uh, let's jump into into some Worlds coverage here. You know, that's obviously what everybody's really excited about right now. Are you uh, excited? And, I'm so excited. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a great event. I think, especially given just the, the awkwardness of the whole year and then <laughs> and the tragedies of, of the whole year in a lot of ways, just getting to dive into this is going to be, in some ways, a big relief. Like, like League hasn't really gone away, but it's felt a little off. Uh, yeah. I, to I me, that's... That, yeah. To me, that's why it's so exciting. Like, uh, it, it's almost like this solid foundation, this rock, you know, that you could this thing event that you can lean on, given what's happening around the world. You know, it's you know, Riot kind of made their statement that you know the world championship is not going away, and we have this full, pretty much fully fledged event. So, you know, I might have to stay up and completely alter my sleep schedule for it but it's a welcome welcome alteration <laughs> join the club i'm gonna be doing it for the first time i might die i've got kids we'll see yeah i was about but, to uh... say <laughs> <laughs> but but we're gonna give it a shot uh, I, I i have a puppy so i i feel you same on that thing. one yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so let's focus you know we're, we're both na based guys uh you know this is probably especially from my side that's what i'm most familiar with i, I watch the other regions to some extent but I, I don't claim expertise in any of them but you know what i'm what i'm really interested in personally is is how are the three lcs teams going to perform you know how are we feeling about them going in there's been so much talk about the lcs's level relative to the other major regions there's been so much drama about it. People saying hey, the LCS shouldn't be considered a major region anymore. Lots of flame. Uh, how do you feel overall about about NA's level going into Worlds? I am cautiously optimistic about NA's level at Worlds. And there are a couple of reasons why. I think we have a proper mix of teams in terms of strategic diversity uh in terms of game plans team comps as well um and it's just on these teams to adapt to the pace of the international meta and that to me is the most important thing i think we are a notoriously slow team uh or slow region rather uh and that we have a focus on 
rotations through the bot side of the map. I think this was covered in your video uh, with Travis as well, just yeah, in terms we, of... Yeah, we did an episode uh, around it about pacing and, and, and so on. But if you about, haven't seen those on Travis Gafford's channel, check those out. Yeah, and, and in particular, the thing that stood out to me that I fully agree with is just a crazy amount of dragon priority. If you recall... <clears throat> excuse me. If you recall the beginning of 2020 when dragons were reworked into the rift map power was purposely pulled away from individual dragons um such that you were to uh really stack dragons and get to the fourth one as the true power spike in other regions they're not playing for the fourth dragon they'll give up a dragon they'll play for the gold they'll play for the experience that you get uh similar to how na has kind of neglected Harold because uh you know certain bot laners uh I've I've heard I've recalled say that they much prefer the gold the plates the experience uh instead of rotating to Harold. So it's pretty interesting to see the same reasoning for not going for either neutral objective <laughs> applied here by different reasons so in na's case it's we don't want to go to herald anymore and in uh, the rest of the world's case it's we don't need to go to dragon and, and you know the the priorities have shifted accordingly so, so I, I i i just want na to adjust i think they're fully capable of just of adjusting and i think we have the talent that to that we've sent there capable of it so i just want to see it on stage that's my main thing yeah, so let's let's start by talking about the NA team that that I think made that adjustment. You know, in, in terms of the playoffs, they made that adjustment when the other teams kind of didn't, which is TSM, and and they were the only team in the playoffs that really, at, at least in the later stages of the playoffs, that actually played through the top side of the map with any kind of yep. consistency. Uh, and and that really is all about you know your your top laner and his ability to to set up the map that way and kind of carry that burden and and then of course the rest of the team's ability to enable it and 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 to provide the the right map pressure and positioning to allow it how do you feel about broken blade on on tsm yeah i think uh if you recall broken blade on tsm during their finals run this type of playstyle was actually pretty similar uh, to what they were executing then. You know, at the time it was Acadian constantly hovering for BB to push out lanes or to make sure that he was capable of really driving home the advantage in his matchup. I don't recall exactly what the counterpicks rates were back then, uh, but I know recently, especially in finals against FlyQuest, he was reserve counterpick pretty much the entire time. Um, Beard got Zillion one game, for example, and was able to push that through uh, the first phase. But for overall uh, counterpick for Broken Blade, once he saw you know a full five champions or four champions was pretty consistent. I think top counterpick, given other regions' herald priority, is going to be pretty important. And I think TSM has already adjusted to that, which is really, really good. Can TSM play successful, successfully through him uh, remains to be seen, especially given the top laners he is up against in his group. For sure, it is uh, Rascal and Whippo. 
and his jungler has to perform against the likes of, uh, you know, for example, uh, Selfmade, right? So, to me, it's not as clear if they can work together to do that on an international stage, but at least we've seen it on an LCS level before. We know that BB can pull resources and be the strong side. That was never his uh, weakness, I would say, um, on TSM. People were always concerned that he couldn't play without resources. So, um, yeah, it remains to, to be seen how much TSM will focus on that, but I think you're right. They have they made the adjustment early on. They showed that adjustment in finals. It really worked out for them. They won. Um, and now they have to do it against the likes of Rascal Clid and uh, Self-Made Bwipo. And I just don't know how they're exactly they're going to stack up when those top jungle combinations were so much stronger, in my opinion, than, for example, Santor and Solo, which, uh, you know, FlyQuest really neglected Solo and his ability to play counter picks for a great part of the season and impact Broxa, where Broxa was kind of put onto very specific champions and impact was not really playing carries outside of Gangplank. Yeah, and, and we can speak to the, the FlyQuest and, and Team Liquid sides of that a little more uh, when we get to them, but Speaking about this kind of ability for TSM to play through a strong top side of the map, you know that that really has a bunch of components to it, right? Like if we if we break it down, you need to you need to have a top laner who's in, who both has the champion matchup and you know the personal skill to create priority, right? To to crash minion waves into the tower, you need to have a jungler who knows how to arrive on the map, you know, to be present on the map at the right times as those waves are crashing. You need to have a mid laner who can have priority in mid so that he can move to join those plays or at least threaten to move. And prevent the, the enemy mid laner from coming to kind of attack those wave crashes. You know, you need all of those things. If you put those components together, do you see any any weak links in the chain of how TSM can play those kind of three pieces of a strong topside? Um, no, I, I and and I think that's a surprising thing to say in a lot of cases. But if you look at uh, that top side and how it's affected, it's also affected by support and support base timers. Mm -hmm. That's where I think uh, TSM can get punished uh, pretty thoroughly for playing on that side of the map. So not being able to uh, bring Bio up in an effective way or Biofrost not recognizing how to impact the top side himself by roaming through mid, helping Bjerg move up and then move up together uh, or roaming all the way up to top. Actually, one of the things that made Clutch so successful last year was that if you heat mapped uh, Vulcan's roams to help Hooney, um, they they were mostly coming through top tri brush. Uh, things like that, where support can really impact and dictate the top side match matchups through numbers advantage, is something that I think TSM hasn't considered, or if they have, they haven't executed on. Uh, and I think that can definitely swing those top sides in their favor. However, they really rely on the quality of play of Bjergsen for him to hard win his matchup, or in the, in the case of the Zillion games, to just play better in the matchup with a better understanding of the matchup than the opponent uh, in order to have those top side timers. So, 
you know, they're in a group with another Zillion main in BDD. I don't know if they're going to be able to rely on that as heavily uh, in that case. Um, but yeah, I, I think they'll need to practice bring support into the topside play, uh, potentially pre-Herald in order to make that happen. Yeah, and I don't want to dive too much into the, the support question. I think, you know, there, there are two supports on TSM. You know, Treats has been in all over solo queue in, in on the super server and getting a lot of uh, a lot of attention for that. Mm-hmm. But I think it would be incredibly surprising to see TSM bring Treats in for any games at Worlds unless things are going completely sideways or there's something crazy going on behind the scenes. You know, them bringing mm-hmm. Biofrost back in in the middle of the playoffs really shored up their bottom lane in a way that at least allowed them to win an NA. And I think that you know they'd be a little foolish to to kind of mess with that balance too much now, personally. But you know, it does kind of play into the the career long kind of broad brush painting of Biofrost, which is he's an in lane player and he's not so good out on the map. And you know, I, I think it sounds like from your take, you still see that as being somewhat the case, although it's it's a team issue, not just an individual player issue. Yeah, and, and part the the way you kind of cultivate individual responsibility in that situation is just looking at when that person uh, recalls off the map. Right, normally when Bio recalls, it's for the sake of how good his own lane state is in bot lane and doesn't think about uh, 1v2 situations where Doublelift can survive and he can affect the rest of the map yeah. as much. So, you know, looking at that and, you know, we'll see if TSM sees that as, as a weakness given the meta. Uh, the meta might not be topside focused. And I think that's something we can get into later as well, but um, uh, I'm not quite sure how scrims are making tsm approach the game differently or anything like that but if the game is going to be topside focused you need to understand how to bring your support into that mm-hmm. in order to uh really be good at that so i don't think anybody questions tsm's ability to use bjergsen to play whatever style they need to play uh but one angle uh, you know on their roster that that people depending how closely they paid attention might still have question marks about is speaker you know given his relative inexperience compared to the rest of the roster and, and all of these things. Uh, I actually claimed in, uh, in, in a recent episode of, of run it, uh, the series with, with Travis Gafford, that, that speak has shown the potential to become NA's best jungler. Do you feel that that claim is overstating it? Do you agree with, with my take on that? Uh, I, would you want to give for those who haven't watched the video potentially, uh, like a short, a short list of why that that might be just sure. uh so we have like background information that we can talk about uh for the audience yeah so so i'd say as, as some general backing on it you know I, i've had a sense for most of the split that speako has been pretty underrated by the community you know maybe i was uh maybe that's a bit of a, a straw man argument but but to me speaker has played the style all split of being kind of the enabler jungler not the in the video i kind of contrasted him a bit with dardock who's the kind of player who can step up pop off and carry a game and be very visible for both the good and the bad uh you know obviously comparing him to dardock because he replaced dardock on tsm whereas i see speaker as more of the you know be in the right place at the right time enable his teammates to do what they need to do and in the finals especially really saw a lot from speaker about enabling that broken blade uh you know playing through him being there at the right times, both to uh, to support wave crashes and, and, and invade alongside them, 
being there yes. when the waves started getting pushed against Broken Blade, and and there's there's one probably my favorite play. Maybe it's just because it's you know more recent memory, but of of the LCS this split, uh, game four against FlyQuest, which TSM ended up losing. But regardless of that, there was a, there was a very clear setup that FlyQuest were were creating a, a wave push into Broken Blade. The jungler was there. The mid laner was about to start moving, and Speaker cut right in like five ten seconds ahead of the timing of that play, ganked for a kill and diffused the entire thing, and, and you know theoretically turn the entire thing that sense of timing and that right. sense of the right place to be is is what makes me kind of see him as hey that's the mindset that a guy needs to to, to be a great jungler yeah i wonder how much of that is their communication system as well because a lot of times junglers don't pay attention as much to the wave states as they otherwise should and so they get informed about them by the laners so to me that how he processes that information and makes a decision like that uh, is definitely a positive. To me, Spika is in the conversation to enter that upper echelon of quality jungling that people talk about with uh, Blabber and Tintorin. Uh I think that he has that opportunity. He plays a style that works really well in the world's environment. I believe he's the youngest one of the youngest players attending Worlds as well, if I recall correctly. Definitely youngest jungler. Um, to me, the ability to scrim international opponents will just make him better. I think he's mechanically already good. He plays champions that are high of high mechanical skill, and TSM trusts him to play those champions. You actually saw Nidalee bans, uh, I believe, in the finals, uh, because... You know, if you knew, know Spika, he used to be an Italy one trick pretty much and, um, you know, showed that to good effect on TSM and they actually trust him to play that. Even at the beginning of the split when he was playing, he faced Community Ire for a pick that, uh, a counter pick that his team trusted him on and Kane, right? So I appreciate that TSM is being a little more experimental with his picks and opening up to his style a little more than they have with previous junglers. And I think that only helps to support his growth. And um, yeah, I, I, I think he has the opportunity to enter that upper echelon. Uh, we'll see his world's performance and see see if that the, that allows him to do that as well. Yeah, and just to, to, to wrap that up, I, you know, I want to be clear that I don't I don't consider Spika to be, uh, you know, on the same level as a Santorin or a Blabber right now. It's more about what I think he can become. Yeah. Uh, I think Santorin is a cut above. Uh, Blabber has, you know, has so many strong points and especially, you know, a very different style than Centaurin, but each of them in their own ways are, are, are so good. But uh, yeah, Spika showing, showing a lot of tools to, to grow in the right direction. Uh, let's, let's wrap thing up, things up a little bit on TSM here. They're in a pretty tough group. What chances do you give them of getting out against uh, Genji, Fnatic, and you have to assume LGD is going to make it through play-ins and, and join that group as well? Yeah. To me, this is... I know a lot of people talk about groups of, of death, groups of life, or whatever. To me, the definition of a group of death is you could very cleanly see a scenario where at least three teams have a chance of making it out. Um, and to me, this is a group of death where I can see arguments for any of these teams to make it out. So, of course, with that in mind, I worry for TSM. Uh, you know, I don't know 
exactly what they need in order to get out of this group, but I can speak about Genji, Fnatic, LGD, their strengths and, and what sure. they they can do uh, in order to get out of this group. And maybe TSM just needs to enact the opposite of that. Um, I mean, speaking about Genji, I think Genji are kind of a, <laughs> you know, there's this term, the, the fake in basketball, the fake seed, you know, the fake one seed or the fake two seed, you know, a team that plays better than their seeding implies or plays worse than their seeding implies. Um, I think Genji is a fake three seed. I think they're actually the second best team in Korea. I think that all their moving parts are really good. They have the one of the best 80 carries at the tournament, arguably, some people would argue the best. Um, BDD is just an incredible mid laner, maybe not the best mid laner that Korea is sending, but that's by no means a knock on his quality as a player. I think Clid has performed pretty well, and Rascal has also performed pretty well. So to me, Genji is gated by two things. I think their drafts. So for example, after the pause in the DRX series, I thought Genji's drafts and mental fortitude were on display as being very vulnerable um, through that process. And I think their support is inconsistent with that in mind. I also think the bot lane meta, if it is what I think it is, uh, does not benefit Genji too much. They don't really have a person who likes to play uh, some of these champions that are going to be really prevalent. I think Aphelios will be a really strong pick coming into this meta. He already had a really good win rate on patch 10.16, and he got buffed. So I expect a little more Aphelios. Uh, and as a result, I'm not sure if you know nerf champs like Ezreal and Ash will really be uh, you know prevalent enough for Ruler to really show off what he's best at, which is kiting in teamfights. Fnatic, I think, are such a wild card in terms of how they interpret a meta. I think they use counter picks incredibly well. I think I said this in your preview uh, article as well, Tim. But this team counter pick rate and counter pick win rate is just astounding. If you look, if you really break it down, the difference between the blind pick win rates and counter pick win rates, it's incredible. And especially to, to oh, jump in on that a little bit, counter picks for for which roles specifically do you, do you see that? Because you know you're always counter picking some roles. Which are the roles where they they really get success when they counter pick those roles? Support support is the big one. Uh, I think when Hillsong gets counter pick and the ability to help push in and then freely move out around the map or create like these 2v2 kill lanes and then do something about it the team does perform incredibly well uh not putting nemesis on counter pick just having him blind something like oriana um helps a lot with that then uh finally not counter picking for Bwipo and being able to counter pick for self-mate so jungle support are the two big ones um for me 
And yeah, so so that's Genji, that's Fnatic, you know, both teams with a lot of strengths. What do you think about LGD? Because they're, they're a bit of a wild card, I think, in this tournament where people think, hey, China's super strong and they're a Chinese team, but it seems like, a, you know, I, I do hear quite a few people having, having their doubts about LGD. For me, LGD is similar to Genji, where they have people who can perform at a pretty good level. I think Peanut and Kramer have the highest uh, floors of this team. The one thing I worry about this team is they're actually in terms of uh other teams they are not as uh stable of an early they don't have as stable an early game as other teams do uh they are not as good in terms of not being one-dimensional. So, for example, Xie played a lot of TF this split. He tried to influence bot lane Kramer uh, a ton. And as a result, the team, like most Chinese teams, put their top laner on uh, Orn duty or Renekton duty uh, and, and kind of let them do their thing. So LGD is in the same mold, but their early games just do not compare to the other teams uh, that the LPL is sending. So that's my worry for LGD is they're definitely fine later in the game, but their early game is just not up to snuff. They're often in losing situations in the early game, especially in the regional finals where you saw a really huge gap between Suning and LGD. Um, I think the only game that was close was where Suning started playing Lilia and trying to test that out. So, yeah, to to me, it's a, it's a little tough to say um, that LGD is like other traditional LPL teams that are very skirmish heavy and you know good in the early game. I don't really see that as much with. LGD, so you know, uh, they're kind of the slower, slow, slower pace than intended, and I, I suppose I look forward to seeing how that's going to work out at Worlds. I think they're the least likely team to get out of this group, uh, but they're not bad by any means. I don't want I don't want that to come off as they're bad, but they're definitely going to be, in my opinion, one of the weakest teams in this group and one of the le- less likely teams to get out. Yeah, and you have to contextualize that, you know, for LGD, like, just like we do at TSM, this is a tough group, you know, with, with pretty good teams all around. Uh, yes. You know, in another group, LGD might have an easier time getting out, but just like TSM, you know, they're going to have to beat two of these other teams. So it yeah. sounds like it sounds like you're you're sitting TSM probably third in this group with a chance to break S- into second. Se- second or third, yeah. For, for me... Gen G is going to be one of the two teams. That's how I look at this. And then TSM versus Fnatic, it really depends on who adjusts better to this quicker pace solo lane focus game. Like I mentioned before, bringing support into the solo lane battles will be really important, especially when you're dealing with the likes of someone like Hillisong, who will play the champs like the Pike, who will come up earlier than intended and really affect those matchups and the other thing about those matchups is you have two players on tsm 
who pretty much will get counterpick against the players on Fnatic, their counterparts, right? Whippo is not likely to counterpick, and if he does, it's normally some weirder stuff like Urgot. He's counterpicked with Rengar before, long, long ago. Um, normally settles with GP, champs like that, and Nemesis will normally play Orianna, right? So, to, to me... Uh, and and also we need to see if Nemesis has an, has an answer to the Zillion, right? Because uh, he's going to be playing against two Zillion players uh, in in this group in BDD and and Bjergsen. So to me, the, those are the the most important things for the Fnatic TSM matchup. Are can TSM use their counterpicks effectively, and will they be able to match Hillasong uh, on, on roams and, and support? support realms and this is the way support affects the map <clears throat> if this group comes down to tsm versus fanatic that's going to be some great entertainment value with the history of those two orcs. yeah so, yeah looking, the viewer, uh, actually i mean the these orcs have history but i don't believe they've ever played each other at worlds only uh rift rivals uh yeah. if i recall correctly the, these two teams have never faced each other on the world stage so if we if that settles into some sort of like fanatic TSM tiebreaker to see who makes it to quarterfinals, I, I'm all for it. Yeah, that sounds great. So let's jump from there to the next North American team. We'll talk about the number two C with with FlyQuest. You know the the group they've been drawn into is a bit of a different story. It's you know you can talk about a group of death being one where you've got you know more more high quality teams that should you know that you think should be in the next round than are able to actually advance the flyquest group is a group of death in a different way which is you got drawn into this group and that feels like death they're <laughs> up against top esports and DRX you know top being you know the LPL champions DRX finished second in the LCK do they have any chance of getting out of this group realistically Maybe I'm a little too optimistic, but I actually do think they have a chance of getting out. And when I do say they have a chance of getting out, to me it's as the second seed. It won't be as the first seed at all. I think the first seed is pretty cut and dry going to be uh, top esports. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, they have the first 6-0 in a group stage that we've seen in pretty much years. I don't yeah, recall... Yeah, I don't recall the last time we actually have had a 6-0 team in the group stage. Maybe SKT 2016. This but is I might where I need wrong. a producer on the podcast to, to jump <laughs> in and like speak in my ear. Or, or yeah, or you just gotta <laughs> just uh, look it up. You know, don't have a yeah, don't have a mechanical keyboard and be typing out while we're talking and oh, having that background so noise. Yeah, well, the background noise, you know. So. Mm. Um, yeah, I really don't recall exactly when the last time we had a 6 uh group stage. But I, I, I but... do agree with you that I think Top Esports feels like the kind of team that can do that. And it's partly because, you know, they're not this flashy one seed that comes in and is just so explosive and can roll over everyone and that potentially has some kind of hidden weaknesses in there. To me, they feel like a much more balanced team that can win in different ways. And and that's more that's more scary to me than the really explosive snowball team because you don't know what to attack. You you don't say, Hey, we just shut down, you know, their their early coin flips and off we go or something like that. Like where where are there any vulnerabilities in this squad? Their worst player is in support. And when you say that alone and the rest of the players are 
top three potentially in their roles in the tournament um that you know at worst top three that gets a little spooky right people have a lot of respect for uh carsa 369 knight jackie love of course so to me that in and of itself makes this team automatic favorites but you know the meta can change the game could get a lot slower for this team and i think that that is their achilles heel is they don't react well to super late game situations if you look at their series against jdg in particular uh, they rely a lot on their hands to get out of bad map states that jdg puts them in and that's why JDG is also an exciting team to me, but I think that's a story for another podcast as we talk about the NA teams. <laughs> our, our, sort of, our focus is on the NA teams, rather. Yeah, so um, let's, let's talk about FlyQuest, and, and let's let's work on that that statement then, that Top Esports is somewhat untouchable in this group. Not to say nobody could beat them, because, you know, anything can happen, but, but let's say this is really going to come down to FlyQuest against DRX, and then whatever other team ends up in this group, which could, you know, definitely throw off the balance of things if uh, you know, Mad Lions is most likely to come into this group, right? I my producer, by the way, says that uh, Longju twenty seventeen was the last time we got a six zero. <laughs> How did that work out for stage. them? Uh, not too well. They kind of got uh, trounced immediately three zero against Samsung. <laughs> um. Anyways, though, yeah. So, so <laughs> probably going to have to beat. DRX and Mad Lions to get out of this group, right? They're gonna have to finish better than those two. Yes. Uh, how does you know how how do they go about doing that? What are the strong points that they can that they can focus on where they can be better than those teams? I think one of the things that FlyQuest is just better at, I suppose, is preparation and drafting than those other two teams. I also think Santorin is a more refined jungler than Piosic and Shadow, and so is probably able to, at the very least, blunt those tools on the side of the other teams in the group stage. So those are my two immediate thoughts. If you look, if you want to get specific about FlyQuest preparation, of course, you look at the C9 series, you look at how they understood how c9 plays how blabber plays they had a whole year to refine this idea of how they can as a slower team counteract a skirmish heavy team like c9 and they did it through very smart level ones through very smart early games that were very active um and being able to see that style on the side of FlyQuest is very reassuring right i also think that their supposed weakness in the top lane when it comes to forcing Solo to play weak side may not rear its ugly head in this group. He's playing against Arome, who is notoriously another top laner that is like mostly ignored by Mad, and Doron, who is not that exciting a player when it comes to uh, carrying a match and, and being given resources by his team. So as a result of these stylistic similarities and the fact that these teams can't throw that carry threat into areas where FlyQuest is un underprepared or underutilizing their own resources, you know, these games could feel very easy to prepare for. 
So I'm I'm excited to see uh, how they do that. I think good preparation can lead to uh, good group stage results. So when you've got teams like Mad Lions and DRX that you know, you know they're they they've got a lot more coming through bot and mid. Uh, you know, more likely to play through those parts of the map, and and you've got FlyQuest doing that as well. What's what are the things that that kind of tip one of those teams into? Well, if they're not going to play, you know, through the top side of the map, we can do it instead and catch them off guard. Versus, let's match their style and execute it better than they can. What are the, you know, as a coach, what are the decisions that would go into deciding the right way to either match or counter an opponent's play style? I think there's two aspects to it one is what is the meta does the meta reward shifting your resources away from enemy resources so trading plates trading objectives does the meta reward that uh and the second thing is uh champion pool do you believe that you have the proper counter picks or picks set up in draft to nullify what could be a player advantage or resource gaining advantage um, a great example is, I think, PoE's champ pool. Some of the weirder aspects of it can actually negate a lot of interesting uh, ideas from other teams. So I know Galio was nerfed, but a good example is uh, is being able to play against like Chovy's Galio, who, who he's played a few times, and be able to play Swain into it, which is a pick that <laughs> he, he, he has played once before, right? and has got subsequently banned when he wanted to, to play Galio or play into Galio. Um, so to me, that that's the biggest thing is it's not just about bashing players against each other and being like, okay, who wins out? The picks are important too, and I think PoE's champ pool can help a bit on the top side. I think Ignar's champ pool and support counter pick helps a lot with the bot lane situation. And uh, to me, Ignar has such a unique play style in this group uh, in terms of leaving his AD carry alone in a lot of circumstances that it, I think that can be another wild card in the favor of FlyQuest, especially when he is able to, to help mid and help those potential mid counter picks thrive even more. So speaking of, you know, kind of champion pools and, and you know, whether or not you feel your team has the right champions and the right, you know, skill set in those areas to play a certain way. Solo is one who who I find really interesting on that front because throughout the playoffs, they played through the bottom side of the map. They put Solo on, you know, Gangplank, Orn, these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But I actually came into the playoffs and especially the last, you know, the last few matches thinking specifically with Team Liquid, hey, you know, Impact is not going to play the the high pressure you know you're unlikely to see him playing much renekton and he, it's not that he can't but very unlikely and and to me i thought solo was the kind of player who could you know earlier in the season we saw him i'm pretty sure he played renekton into cannon and smashed it and they and they won through the top side of the map so i was actually yeah. surprised to see flyquest that was the not... gates team liquid as well yeah, exactly exactly uh and and, and so you know i was surprised to see flyquest not try to equip solo that way you know, I, I was really pressing for TSM to do that, and I was pressing for FlyQuest to do that, and FlyQuest didn't do it. Do you think that is something where they don't believe that that's a good way for them to play? Solo not wanting to play that way? A different read on the meta than what I had? What? How do you see that? I think it was a, just a read on the NA meta 
of course we talked about how we're more bot focused more herald focused so playing picks like the shen and the orn that can impact the herald fight when people rotate to it or can tp down or can really uh do well in these dragon fights uh i think was a big part of it but yeah i i i'm generally in agreement with you when it comes to um FlyQuest utilization of solo as a player if you know solo growing up uh, or like how his career started he was the gangplank player in na he's probably one of the best gangplank players uh in the west even and to have him underutilize that pick or not have the opportunity to utilize it when it does so well into most of the top lane meta champions especially the tanks um, makes it a little disappointing. Uh, I do think Shen is uh, nerfed on the world's patch as well, so I think we'll see a lot less of that from him. But yeah, I want more Mordekaiser. I want a more confident solo. If you recall that TL game, he picked Renekton into Ezreal, Zoe, Braum, and... Uh, Kennen, which are four champions that you would almost never want to play Renekton into at all, and he ended up carrying the game. So, uh, or sorry, it was Barge, not Braum. Uh, but he ended up carrying the game, right? So, to me, that's the kind of solo I want to see at Worlds, who's able to, even in the situation where he counter kind of counterpicks himself, he uses those resources effectively, and he allows his team to play through multiple lanes instead of be focused on, on, on mid, especially. Yeah, I'm going to be very interested at Worlds whether FlyQuest continue to, to kind of play away from Solo and say, hey, you know, you do your job on that side of the map and we're going to focus somewhere else, or whether they actually, you know, equip him more. Because I do think that he's the player who's capable of being more of a focal point for his team. And, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm curious whether they feel the same way, what their read on the meta will be, and, and what we'll see in this group. Yeah, I certainly hope we see more gangplank out of him, especially. Um Again, that's a pick that he was known for for years, and he does very well on it. Normally, he knows how to lane with it properly. Um, he, a lot of other good gangplanks have a lot of respect for his. You know, I I worked with Huni before, has a ton of respect for Solo's gangplank. So I'd like to see that uh, a lot more from FlyQuest. I think it also helps the rest of their playstyle too by adding another global. So. So would you say? FlyQuest is, I assume you'd say they're a little less likely to escape their group than, than TSM is, all things considered. That's a great question. In my mind, it seems pretty similar in terms of chances, but I think the reaction to the draw makes it seem like FlyQuest's situation is a lot worse. But recall what I said about Gen G. I actually think they are the better Korean team. Uh, and so FlyQuest is getting a worse Korean team, a worse European team. The only difference is they have a pr pretty much a tournament tournament favorite in their back bracket, right? They have the best Chinese team, um, the best team from the best region. So of course, cutting one spot down makes it a little more diff different. But yeah, to, to me, they're playing a worse Korean team and a worse European team. So I, I see no reason why especially given their series was so close against TSM with their, even yeah. with the style discrepancies, uh, I see no reason why they wouldn't have similar chances to get out of their group. 
So that brings us to the third North American team. Uh, team Liquid have to start in the play-ins. You know, they, they finish as the, as the third seed. They, they kind of bombed out of the, the LCS playoffs towards the end. Uh, do you feel Team Liquid deserves... You know, you, you're speaking towards kind of the idea of a fake seed before. Uh, do you feel Team Liquid deserves this third seed, seed spot, or are, they, or are they a bit of a fake seed as well? I think Team Liquid deserves this third seed. I think they have some stylistic weaknesses and some plays that they uh, go for that are often wrong that they really need to address. And I think the playing stage is going to be perfect for them to work out those kinks. Uh, two really good examples of this are Broxa's champion pool. I think they've limited Broxa in a lot of ways, and Broxa has limited himself in a lot of ways to fit the team's identity such that uh, it actually has hurt the team and hurt the creative possibilities of the team strategy. And two is, if you watch any Team Liquid game and you see they have a DPS champ, whether it's Ash or Azir, uh, you know, for example, this team will always try to two-man sneak Baron while they're trying to push out waves. And it is one of the worst tempo losses and use of a, a turn on the map that I often see from the team. But to, it... I would say it's about 60-40 of it working in NA, but it really, very rarely, often will work on the international stage, and I think teams will punish them a lot harder for that tendency where they try to two- or three-man sneak Baron. Uh, you, you look at most a lot of Team Liquid games, you'll you'll see those opportunities. So, uh, you know, good scouts will see that. They'll know how to punish it. Um and it's something I worry about as as a thing that Team Liquid thinks is good, but it's actually not, <laughs> and that they'll continue to do. Are you worried at all about Team Liquid's ability to even get through the play-ins? Do you think that that they're gonna they're gonna struggle to qualify up to the group stage, or or should this be you know relatively comfortable and, and more just like you said, an opportunity for them to kind of work out their style and get back in form? I do not worry for Team Liquid's play-in stage advancement opportunity for two reasons the first is i think they'll be first or second in the group and if they're first they'll already uh make it in and if they're second they have to play the i believe it's the third seed of the opposite side well they, and... so the play-in format is a little weird that way so the third and fourth teams in each group play a bo5 and the winner of that plays the two seed from the other side so they could play either the third or the fourth seed from the other group Right, and to me, the other group is just so. I would I don't want to say devoid of quality, but has they have the opportunity to really, they they have clear advantage against the third or fourth seed of Group B. Right, it's either PSG Talon, who is a team that has multiple substitutes because their players couldn't make it into China. It is V3 Esports, who is a jungle-focused team who, uh, you know, doesn't have quality players beyond that jungle role. Uh, Rainbow Seven, similar story. I think Jose Diodo is a very, very good prospect uh, for Latin America. Reminds me a lot of Audi in terms of his play style and, and what he wants to do. Uh, but that team is very one-dimensional in that way. Uh, you know, you're looking at those teams <laughs> as... You know the teams that you have to play up against, and barring some crazy cheese that happens three games in a row, 
I, I don't see how Team Liquid and their kind of turtle style, um, you know, slow style, baiting barons, constantly trying to scale up, uh, really gets hurt by any of these three teams. If it's so... Unicorns of Love that somehow makes it into the third, fourth mm-hmm. seed situation, then I could see that getting a little scary for TL because it's such a different wild outlandish team that does so many different things has so many different strategies that could definitely throw a team like tl off so so we we spoke with tsm about uh about speaker and about his potential to develop and grow and and team liquid have a pretty similar situation with tactical young Mm -hmm. player you know surrounded by by a ton of veterans making his way to the world stage uh how good do you think tactical really is? Because I think people can approach this as, you know, look at the system he's playing in. It's very oriented around him. He's got all these veterans kind of telling him what to do. And you, you could have that cynical approach to it. Uh, or you can just celebrate, like, look, look, look at his uh, Callista, you know, Quadrakill or whatever it was, that, that huge game-saving fight and all this, and look how mm-hmm. amazing he is. Where do you fall on that spectrum? I think the fact that he can show kind of both those sides shows me that he's not consistent yet, but I think that's okay, right? I think this world's tournament should help aid his ability to be consistent. And I think that pairing him up with this world champion support like Core JJ is also going to aid in that consistency. So to me, I think tactical as the mechanics, the attitude, pretty much everything you would want in a young player uh he has and so that makes me really excited for his development i think he can be one of north america's next great 80 carries um yeah and i I, i'm a little biased as well because i've known him uh for a really long time ever since you know going back a few years when he was known as tactical bacons uh <laughs> not quite the the same cool name as tactical is um but yeah I, i've had high hopes uh for him for a while seeing him in scouting ground cemented that for me and uh i'm, I'm glad he gets a shot to to fix his problems and and work on himself at worlds and hopefully do well as well so i i think tactical is very good he should get a lot of credit for being good and team liquid should get a lot of credit for having the right pieces to aid in his development. So speaking to to him coming up from scouting grounds and kind of developing over time, is this, you know, I, I don't know how closely you personally watch Academy versus leaving that to others in, in the org, but, you know, did you see this level of potential from, from him all the way from the start, you know, as far back as you know him through scouting grounds and all of that, or is this something that, that kind of came up more later and, and, you know, over this current year, you know, because for my sake, he really leapt onto my radar this year. And in me watching him at Academy, he seemed he seemed pretty good, but nothing that that suggested that he would really be able to explode into the scene like this. Yeah, I think there's two things. One is um, the LCS. Once you move up to LCS, it really is like a boot camp. Like you are getting so much information and you're learning the game at such a rapid pace that some people either get overloaded and they fall behind or they keep up and they continue to push themselves to do really well. And so in this case, Tactical is definitely the latter kind of person where he got put into an environment where he's the only new person, being overloaded with information about how to play the game from 
every which way, whether it's his coaches, his fellow players who are so experienced, like you mentioned, world's finalists, world champions, world semifinalists, etc. And then um, being able to process that and then develop, um, you know, really help them take a leap. Um, to To me, like you said, his performance in academy was very good. He is an academy champion, just like myself. Um, but the question with tact- players like tactical is not really um, if, but when. And I think I can agree with you that the speed in which he has gotten to this point is a lot faster than a lot of people expected. So with that in mind, it, it wasn't about like if he's going to develop, it was about when is that going to happen? And to have it happen so quickly is such a boon for, for an org like TL to have a player like that who you could potentially lock down uh, for multiple years and just have them continue to grow. So, yeah, I I think he's really good. I think the org should get a lot of credit for building him up, and I think he should get a lot of credit for surviving that, that boot camp. To what extent, you know, to take a bit of a tangent on player development here, to what extent do you think it is inherent in the player that they can develop that quickly versus being, you know, a function of you get to play a full split in the LCS and, and learn from everybody around you? Because, you know, I think we've seen in a few different cases players who get put into a good environment, who come up from academy, and, you know, and suddenly they just, their their development really takes know, a hit. By it. Yeah, I mean, it can go bad, but it can also go really great and, you know, and, and they, they develop more in a much more positive way than you might have expected. Mm-hmm. So how much do you think I, that's that's a, a matter of we got to get more of these players into LCS and give them the opportunity and we're going to find more players like this versus something where you find the right player and then put them in and it was something inherent in the player himself? I, I think it's both, right? I think players need to establish good work ethic and good habits, uh, both in and out of the game. Uh, you know, good personal maintenance in order to really feel the effects of all this information, all this uh, feedback, you know? So I, I think the it goes hand in hand. I th- I've seen countless times where players who are so immensely talented, their hands are so good, uh, where they just don't know how to take feedback well enough from people more experienced than them uh, that they end up suffering right they end up kind of losing those good habits or they maybe they've never established it at all and they end up doing a lot worse as a result you know those things really are important in how you consider the development of a player and yeah i've seen countless cases where, where players think they're good enough they don't establish those good habits they don't listen to others and it really inhibits their growth so i think that open mindset and that personal maintenance goes a pretty long way and that at the end of the day an org can only do so much you know you can lead a horse to water but you can't make him drink uh pretty apt uh saying given we're talking about team liquid <laughs> but uh yeah i i I think the player has as much to do with it to buy into those methods as it does the org or the other players for presenting it in a helpful and effective way. Have you seen any shift in in kind of the LCS organizations in a willingness to give players this chance? Or do you think it's I, not really moving? I think it happened 
partially out of necessity this split in the immortals case we talked about how great that was but it seemed from from the outside looking in that it was more of a necessity to do so than it was an actually you know thoughtful process well or, yeah because not if you to look say at the... it wasn't thoughtful but yeah. it it wasn't uh you know i i suppose it wasn't thorough. the first it, was it wasn't plan a right like you yes, look at the immortals exactly. example they didn't start the summer split with you know with insanity and and you know in, in Alora, they, yeah. they, they started it with the opposite right they they put in like no no we're gonna go all veterans and we think this is actually better and then yeah. that bombed and then they swapped their academy roster in you know, Alora McSmithy, Insanity, and I think it was Apollo Hakua, right? Yes, yeah. And, and so it definitely didn't seem like that was the organizational will to go that angle, but they ended up going that way, and, and you know, I think that was hopefully positive for their org and positive for the league. But yeah. that, I guess that's kind of why I ask, right? Like, because you, but, the decision but then you look at, changed. It, yeah, but then you look at two world's attending teams, and you see that they brought in... Uh, Right. speaker and tactical right so and, and those were actual gambles you know these are successful orgs their aim is uh to be the best and they have a history of that and that's where they put their the that was the basket they put their eggs in and it worked out for them right so hmm. i think when you see even top orgs take that chance, you've seen it in the past with Licorice and Blabber as well, if we want to use C9 as an example. Yeah. When top orgs take that chance, um, it, it it's a cascading effect. It affects the rest of the league in terms of them wanting to take that chance, them trying to emulate those circumstances to the best of their ability so that they can get similar uh, prospects. And I think that cascading effect is a good thing and we should be seeing uh more of that in the lcs and more people taking chances on young players who clearly have a drive and work ethic to um be lcs ready and to to absorb all this information i just hope that we follow through with it right <laughs> you know 2021 that we're able to uh build out rosters for every team that makes sense when it comes to uh developing young na talent yeah and, and to that point i think it a, a very strange kind of silver lining of the global context is that i think it's actually going to be a lot harder for orgs to get in new imports uh yeah much harder to to uh, get them traveling and and acquire the visas and, for them so and, the orgs are going to be forced into to some extent into either stealing imports from other orgs you know recycling the imports that already exist or you know promoting from within and one thing to consider as well is will the imports that are currently here want to stay right mm -hmm. for for me that question is not as clear just because when they came here they came here for you know obviously the lcs to compete but they also came for la right and if you can't experience la as you previously could um you know you're in your home all day can't enjoy the nice weather whatever um you know, the good i think sushi. that take <laughs> yeah i think that takes a toll right i think uh import players coaches are probably going to seriously consider whether they want to stay in north america where uh in la specifically it doesn't seem like quarantine is going to be ending anytime soon versus berlin you know the studio is open to the casters and 
in the case of China, I mean, Worlds is happening and they're thinking about opening the stadium uh, up for, for the finals, you know, and having an audience. So just that difference in human interaction and the ability to explore the environment and, and experience it, I think can play a huge part in whether the, even the current imports who are here want to stay. So, Yeah, for sure. So let's wrap up Team Liquid a bit here. We don't know, you know, assuming they make it through planes, we don't know what group they'll land in, and there are a couple different options. So it's a little hard to talk about, you know, what their chances might look like in that environment. We know that they're going to land in a pretty tough group either way because they're coming in as kind of the, the fourth member. Uh, and just based on that context, you know, you, you'd think they're probably going to have a tough time getting through. Then again, they're going to have this time in the play-ins to kind of, you know, get their hands warm, get their legs under them, to, to mix some metaphors, and, and you know, and potentially do what Cloud9 did, um, mm-hmm. and, and actually come through play-ins, and, and I believe that was the year they ran all the way to semifinals, so... Yes. We don't really know what we're going to see from them, I think it's pretty hard to predict, uh, but that's that's why you watch the games, and, and we'll have to see what happens with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, just being mindful of time, I want to jump forward then, and, and we do have a couple of questions that uh, that uh, subscribers to to the Oracle's Elixir uh, Patreon submitted. Uh, Tell me and... about the Oracle's Elixir Patreon, Tim. What's yeah, that like? To. So, so with the Oracle's Elixir website and and the content I create, uh, you know, the, there's a lot of different coverage of of different things, just supporting the website itself and also supporting. You know my articles, my infographics, uh, different reviews, and, and going forward, hopefully more of this podcast as well. So uh, people can can learn more about that at, at Patreon.com/OraclesElixir or, or access it through OraclesElixir.com. Um, it's been great to see the early support there, uh, and, and people who had subscribed there. I, I put out a call. Actually, I, I initially put out a call for questions related to kind of the the panel preview that that we did, which you participated in along with mm-hmm. a bunch of other kind of coaches and analysts. Uh, and those questions, you know, ended up being a little more specific uh, than kind of the the short short answer. You know, lots of different people answering that the panel preview ended up being. So I thought this would be a great chance to bring a couple of those out. So just do a couple of those. Um, the the fantasy king had submitted a question uh, with the plethora of buffs traditional split pushing carries in the top lane have received over the course of the summer. Do you think it's likely we see a lot of that at this year's Worlds? So specifically looking at, you know, split, split pushing top laners and just, you know, champions that you can play through the top lane with in general. Mm-hmm. I think we should see that as the, it was, who is, the name was the Fantasy King. The Fantasy King. Uh, as the Fantasy King had referenced, uh, there was even, I believe, bug fixes to Fiora to make sure that she was ready for Worlds, uh, you know, was explicitly said by Riot. I think it's totally reasonable to see split pushers uh, at Worlds and understand that a lot of split pushers are actually reasonable team fighters as well. I think Camille has pretty good damage per minute overall against champions in the 1016 patch and she's a great split pusher people have been playing her a lot into orn i think she has like a 70 percent win rate uh good laning stats again good dpm stats against champions um so so yeah i think it's totally reasonable to see split pushing carries top 
I think we'll see a lot of Camille. I like that Aurelia was buffed right before Worlds and Silas as well. I think those champions are always really fun to watch. Akali as well. Um, yeah, nothing. And obviously the tanks are nerfed as well, so nothing really suggests to me that we won't see those champions. Will people use them well is the question that I am curious to see. Uh, whether teams can index into that playstyle as easily, whether teams are comfortable playing against uh, the LPL Renekton with champions like Camille. Um, right, because I think you draw that... a distinction between something like a Fiora, which we're saying, is a Fiora going to come into the meta? And I've seen a lot of people, you know, uh, Malaclips, a coach with the Mortals, talks about Fiora a lot. I think it's just a champion close to his heart, and he's been saying for a while he thinks it might just break through. But there's a big difference between that and a Renekton, where, you know, the, the, the value of a Renekton is you assert a lot of pressure in the lane and then you apply that in mostly in either I get you, you can use it in 2v2 3v3 skirmishing but then also 5v5 fights where you just kind of snowball the game but it's not with a straight up you know I'm going to go sit alone in this lane and you can't answer me and we're going to meanwhile have a four man elsewhere on the map it's somebody a champion that then works with teammates and Fiora yeah. is this more stereotypical like I'm just going to take all your towers and I'm if you come do and try my to kill me we're going to get a Baron <laughs> yeah and, and... Camille Jax uh, is another one who was buffed recently. I, I consider Gangplank to be a reasonable split pusher. Uh, all these champions have great teamfighting capabilities as well. So um, I think we'll index more into seeing those kinds of split pushers, those people who can just kind of push, push group, out right? a lane and then have the mobility to either group or to hover or mm -hmm. to go back to their lane very quickly right that's one of camille's great strengths Jax is very good at that as well um in the case of gp you don't even need to be there right you can keep pushing and then let your global do the work so yeah. I, th I think we'll see a lot more of those kinds of split pushers uh or like you mentioned pushing group style champions like renekton right the more bruiser oriented uh champions like that wukong is another example where you want to push and then group uh because your ultimate is so effective in team fights right and, and i think it's really interesting with those types of champions to see you know again coming from an na perspective you know, while tsm did play through the top side a lot and you know they realized giving broken blade that kind of you know whether it's a renekton or, or other champions like that was what was good for them you know i, I don't feel they executed well on that in the mid and late game where they they did a lot more in in the push and group they did a lot more group than push uh and i yeah. think that's that's a bit of an issue with and, and that's where i see their potential to fall apart against these other teams that they might be able to exploit kind of that inefficiency or that that lack of generating the the right amount of tempo and then you know spending the tempo in the right timings especially uh, because it, I and I recall this game so vividly. Uh, game three of our series against them, mm -hmm. um, he played Camille into Orn, and he tried to engage onto the Orn all the way at the R tier two and just died in a one on one. Right. Yeah. So, I, I think those tendencies to over push your advantage is something that uh, we see a lot more from the na teams to, to do it not effectively than we do other regions so yeah moving on to the the second question here uh joshua goodman asked why does na see so little cheese compared to minor regions who are attempting and sometimes succeeding compared to other underdog regions mm -hmm. 
I think that's a good question. I think NA seeing so little cheese doesn't mean that it's not being practiced. So I would caution the idea that NA doesn't have anything ready because we simply don't know, right? I might have a little more insight than the average person, but even I don't know for sure that we have a lot of things planned on the the cheese department. But I think there's some hope there, you know? We actually see uh, some pretty creative level ones coming out of NA compared to other regions, to be honest, where they just kind of walk into the Raptors ramp and hope something cool happens. Um, I understand with picks, maybe uh, it's not as likely or, or prevalent, but I definitely think movement, strategy, level ones, um, those kinds of things you can easily see. Like, do I expect to see a lane swap at Worlds? Probably not, but we saw it in Europe. I think we could see it. Um, and that kind of thing excites me as well to see if NA is going to pick up something like that uh, and do something with it. So, and if you're going to see that come out of one of the three teams, you'd have to think it's going to be FlyQuest, right? And mostly just they have Ignar. <laughs> yes, the the preparation advantage on FlyQuest makes me believe that you you might see that out of them compared to other teams. Yeah, and, and other the, NA teams rather. The what was it, the I, the team the, the team that I would not almost never see that come out of is TL in my opinion no they they want to play they're very much like their mindset seems to be let's play the right way you know quote unquote the right way and yes and that's just what they try to do whether or not their read on the right way is the same as everybody else's yeah i look forward to also seeing uh unicorns of love just to see whether whether you know they are able to I don't want to say cheese their way because I think the that's just their champion pool and the strategies they're good at. Whether they're able to use those underutilized strategies um, to really make an impact on their group and potentially come out with the one seed. That's a team I'm very interested in seeing as a result. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so thank you to uh, the guys who sent those questions in. We'll, we'll hopefully do more of that in, in future episodes of the guests as well. And I'll put out specific calls for those. Uh, Gabe, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. If people want to keep up with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at invert underscore LOL. Uh, one other way to follow me is to just be able to reach out via via Twitter, via Discord. I Sometimes I'm in the Oracle's Elixir Discord. Not as much uh, as of late, but I I peer through, and uh, maybe you'll catch me on some Among Us streams as well, uh, having fun with that game before World starts. Uh, but yeah, Twitter is the, the primary way to reach reach me. That sounds like fun. Well, best of luck with uh, everything in the in the off season going forward with and with Dignitas and and uh, the upcoming season. Thank you, Tim. I hope you enjoy Worlds too. Seems like it's going to be a lot of fun. Definitely. And I'll be staying awake for as much of it as my body allows me to do. <laughs> Are you a coffee person? I am very much a coffee person. I actually need oh, one right now. You, need my... You're gonna be you're gonna be even more of a coffee person yeah. after. <laughs> it's it's start, lunchtime, so. and I've only had three so far. So I need another. Oh one. wow! Nice. Yeah, no, I'm, a, I'm a four cup a day guy typically, but I think that might change. Uh, we'll we'll see.
might get into double digits by the end of things. <laughs> that might be bad for my body too. <laughs> lack of sleep, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. Again, right. thanks for being here. Uh, if you guys enjoyed the podcast, make sure you subscribe on whatever your preferred platform is. Uh, share the link around. Come hang out in the Oracle's Elixir Discord with uh, with with Invert whenever he's there. We've got some other really great people. Lots of discussion of data science and discussion of of uh, gaming and, and the world of uh, professional league of legends uh, you can find the link to that on oracleslixer.com in the sidebar uh, thanks again for listening to the true site podcast and we'll see you next time